Malachi chapter 3. Take your Bibles, turn there. Have you stand in a few moments. We're going to read verses 7 through 12, I think, tonight, uh, continuing our study in this book. This is the last book of the Old Testament and really the last of the minor prophets. And of course, between here and the book of Matthew would be an intertestinal period of about 400 years. Um, but this is, you know, God's word to a generation that uh, has a lot of similarities to our own especially as it relates to human nature. So, look with me in verse number 7 of Malachi chapter 3. And the Bible says, Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? And so, God says in verse 8, Will a man rob God? And the implied answer is, of course, no. Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? And God replies, In tithes and offerings. And God says, You are cursed with the cursed, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. The word meat there means provision in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall be no room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word of God and for this specific text. Uh, Lord, there's application and truth here for us. There's principle that we need to apply to our life. And understand, Lord, that uh, like all things, the choices we make have consequences. And I, I pray, Lord, You'd help us to align ourselves with those choices that, Lord, would, would please You and bring about our greatest good as well. So, Lord, we ask for Your help in the next few moments. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank You for standing. The text that we're reading tonight is, of course, familiar. You've heard this text preached by me and uh, other preachers, especially, you know, maybe around the ideas of stewardship, uh, or, you know, early in the year we might talk about giving and the importance of that, the scriptural admonition to do that. And, and, and of course, that is appropriate to, to do so. The truth and the principle here does have what we call universal application, meaning uh, this is a specific truth written for a specific people in a certain time. And yet, the truth here bleeds cross-generationally, and it, it is something that we can extract from today. But tonight we are going to look at this text in its context as we have done all the Minor Prophet study and look at it historically. And so we'll understand what God was saying to this group of people in their time and what these words meant specifically for them. A review just one more time. Malachi preached to what we call the post-exile Jewish community. This is the group of people um, who had spent 70 years in the region of Babylon, Shinar. Most of those people may have been, uh, have died in that time. And this would have been their children, maybe their grandchildren who had come back now. There may be a few people who lived those 70 years and, and came back. But he's preaching to this group of people who had spent 70 years in exile in Babylon for uh, long-term gross neglect of the things of God. And it was really supposed to be a time of chastisement, a time of learning and discipline. Uh, Daniel deciphered what God was doing, and he predicted seven years of prophecy there. And certainly that's what happened. And during the reign of uh, Darius, um, Babylon kind of collapsed as a country conquered by Persia. And this Persian king sent them home, guess what, at exactly 70 years. 
And so a group of people left uh, to come back, 50,000 under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua. Uh, but they came back. And so it's to this remnant Jewish community um, that he is speaking. When they came back, what they found was desolation. When the Babylonians destroyed um, Judah, they destroyed Jerusalem specifically. They overthrew the walls, they tore down the temple, they razed most of the city, they, they left very little. And in their absence, other communities of people had come in and filled the vacuum and the void of the Jewish community, and they had made encampments there. And so when the Jews came back, there was conflict, there was difficulties, there was an enormous task that God had given them to rebuild the temple. I'm talking about Solomon's temple. And, and so there's there just been no way really to, to replicate that. But they were to give a try. They were to rebuild the city, their own homes. And of course, in time, under Nehemiah's leadership, the wall that would protect the city. It was a big task that God had asked them to do. They were discouraged with this. They gave themselves to it. The work was great. And they wanted to rebuild their homes. And so they, they, they'd start and they stop and they start and they stop. So, along with the desolation and decimation, there was discouragement. So, God sent some prodding uh, through his leadership. Um, Joshua, as a rebel, I've already mentioned, but also Zechariah and, of course, Haggai. And then, you know, Nehemiah and Ezra were a very unique encouragement. They just plucked men's beards and pulled their hair when they wanted things done, and that was pretty effective. I've never tried that and probably won't, but it's, it's in the Bible. So, the people, um, with that encouragement, they, they did what God had asked. And they rebuilt the city. Um, I'm sure it wasn't to its original splendor, but they, they did. They rebuilt the, they rebuilt the temple. And uh, for those who saw it, because there were some few who were still alive, they wept because it really wasn't as beautiful as the one they had before, but it was an attempt. Under Nehemiah's leadership, they, they rebuilt the wall. So, to their credit, they did what God had asked them to do physically. He said rebuild, and they did. Now, getting their heart right was another matter entirely. And that was a larger task and a bigger effort. You see, the sins that sent them to exile in some measure stayed with them in those 70 years and followed them back home to Jerusalem. When they came back, they still dappled with idolatry a little bit. And the reason for that is that they were, they were going through, and this is important in the context, they, they were going through a drought, if you will, a, a, a kind of a minor famine. Crops weren't growing. The rain wasn't falling. They were struggling economically. They were struggling to, to just survive. And, and so, you know, Baal, remember the old worship of Baal. Baal was the god of fertility and, 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 and all the things, agriculture. So, the Jews dappled a little bit with idolatry, asking Baal for favor. And, of course, God rebuked them through numbers of minor prophets. Um, they still were struggling, um, treating each other fairly and equitably. They took advantage of vulnerable people. Um, they, they lied. They, they stole. They cheated. The politicians were corrupt. The priests, um, you know, the, guy, the people who were supposed to be leading the, the, the people, the priests were corrupt. And, and, and God has a special word of rebuke for the, for the actual the spiritual leaders of of Judah or Israel combined at this time. There was just a lot of things that they were still not doing right, and they weren't doing things right with God. And, and this was manifest in their marginal commitment to the Word of God. And that's what's addressed early in our text. They're, they're being religious, if you will. They're going to church. They, they, they go to the temple. They, they kind of 
you know, if you will, they sing the songs, they, they go through some religious ritual, but their hearts aren't really right with the Lord. And there's not a full-fledged, wholehearted commitment to God. Um, they're just they're struggling with the commandments. They're not really fulfilling the covenant that God had made with them back in Deuteronomy and in the book of Exodus. They're really not, you know, making the Lord their priority of life. And so, they, you know, they, they were of the opinion God had abandoned them. And the truth was, you know, they were abandoning God by not keeping His, His covenant. And so, this is what Malachi is addressing, um, this lack of wholehearted commitment to God. And he's confronting Israel with their deficiency of heart. And so he does this in the most fascinating way, the book of Malachi, through a hypothetical discussion between, you know, if you will, the heart of the people, kind of a generalized heart of the, of the population, and then, of course, God Himself. So this dialogue, if you will, this discussion, and we call it a disputation because it's kind of an argument going back and forth. Well, I said this and you think this. And so there's this kind of back and forth in the way that Malachi presents these people's deficiencies. And so there's these questions being asked by the people and, and by God. There's accusations, um, if you will, fairly by both parties. The people are making accusations against God, which are not fair. God is making accusations, legal accusations that are fair. There's answers, there's rebuttals. And we've discussed this mechanism a number of times. So in our text tonight, um, God now re-engages in a previous argument, if you will, and He levies a complaint. And God starts the questions this time. And he levies a complaint against the people. In verse number 7, look there with me if you would. And so he, he looks at them and he basically says, um, you're complaining, you're not happy, you're discouraged. Um, larger, larger context is the crops aren't coming in, there's no rain, uh, the economy's in a, in a difficult time. They're not making the connection here with what they're experiencing in their relationship with God. And so God's going to help them here. And He says, even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances. So you're struggling with the current environment. And, uh, you know, God gives them this kind of answer, you know, in a question. He says, uh, just like your, your fathers, your forebears, you're not following me. Um, you're not keeping my ordinances. You're not keeping my word. You're not keeping my statutes, he says here. And God says, return to me. So what you want in a better life and a better world isn't found in, you know, political answers and economic answers. The world, the life you want is found in a connection to me. So return to me. And if you return to me, then I'll fulfill my part of the covenant because you're, you're, there's no reciprocity here. I'm doing it and you're doing nothing. And then you might have the world that you want, the economy you want, the blessings you want. But as long as you stay divorced from me and my covenant, you're not going to have the world you want. So God says, return to me and I will return to you, said the Lord of hosts. But God anticipates this before they even do it because it's, it's happened so many times. So instead of the people saying, it, He says, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, wherein and how we not kept your commandments. They are completely blinded. They, they don't understand it. They're not seeing it as they have not looked at the whole book of Malachi. And so God, you know, already, pro, you know, um, projects what they're going to say. Um, you, you, uh, you're not going to get it. You don't understand why your crops are failing. All these things are happening. So in typical fashion, you know, they finally get to it. This question that God guesses ahead of time. You know, well, how have we not kept it? And wherein shall we return? What are you talking about? We're not serving you. 
Well, they honestly don't get it. Wherein shall we return? What are you saying? I'd paraphrase it this way. People look at God, what are you talking about? What are you talking about we're not honoring your commandments? What are you, what are you talking about we're not serving you? We don't understand what you're saying. And they do. They just don't want to address it. So in response, God, um, it's not arbitrary, but God picks, I'm sure, one of many examples of their marginal commitment and heart to Him. And so God says, okay, I'll give you one. He said, uh, would a man rob God? Okay, so this is the question God asks. Okay, now when I ask that, you know, we all understand that we ought not rob God, right? That'd be an egregious sin to steal from God. So the obvious implied answer here to God's comment is, would a, a, a man rob God? And they're like, well, of course not, and we've not robbed you would be their response. But he goes on to say, but yet you have robbed me. This egregious thing that you say you wouldn't do, you've done. You have robbed me. And before you ask, how have we? He says, I'm going to tell you. You have robbed me in tithes, which means a tenth, and specifically it's the, the produce that they had. Okay, so now I want you to get this contextually. Way back in the beginning of the covenant and the, the laws of Deuteronomy, you know, God asked the people to bring a tithe, 10%. God made it clear that everything they had and owned came from Him. And He told them, don't ever, you, don't ever misunderstand that what you have is the work of your own hands. If you have any blessings, any tangible, you know, prosperity, that comes from Me. And this, just to, as acknowledgement of that, and we'll find out later, to make spiritual things work in terms of worship, I want you to give me a tithe. It's a way of honoring me. It's a way of recognizing me. It's a way of showing dependence upon me. So this was something that God gave many, many centuries before. But in the context, these people were economically struggling. Okay? So it'd be, it'd be like me preaching to you about tithing during a recession. And many of you had lost your jobs, and maybe you were just struggling to make a living, and life was hard for you, and I get that. And we could all empathize about that. And yet, I'm going to stand up here by the authority of God's Word and say, even in tough times, you need to tithe. That's the context. So he's looking at a group of people like that. And, and, and the crops aren't really coming in. So they're thinking, man, we had almost no return on our crops this year, and you still want the tithe? You still want that? So I just want you to understand why God's saying this. And so he's saying, you've robbed me of this. And, uh, and I'll get ahead of myself a little bit. He says, and that's why you're cursed. When he says you're cursed with a curse, this isn't some kind of esoteric, mystical curse. In other words, he's saying the thing you're experiencing, the hardship you're experiencing, that's, that's, that's the curse. And you're experiencing that in part because of your behavior and your lack of faith and trust in me, your lack of obedience, it goes back to where he started, your lack of keeping the commandments and the law. In other words, your hardship is of your own doing. It's not the economy. It's not that you're just subjugated to other nations around you. Those have never been the defining characteristics of, of Israel. It was always this. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you love me, I'll love you. I'll make you the head, not the tail. You're, you're trying to find answers all over the world, but God keeps bringing them back to this, follow me. You know, be devoted to me, and I'll take care of you through all these times. I'll take care of you through the drought. But the, the curse you're experiencing is related to your behavior, and the behavior is you are not 
obeying my word. And here's one example. You're not paying your tithes and offerings. And so God says, that's the truth I want you to deal with in this message. In verse 10, he, he, God then continues. He says, if you would tithe, if you would give a large present, if you'd be generous, if you would just do what I've asked you to do, if you would bring your tithes into the storehouse. Now, the storehouse is a word for the temple treasuries. And so, the temple had coffers or these deposit places where you could put your offering the tithes in, and that was collected by the priest. And the storehouse was the place of provision. This is the, from the storehouse, uh, this is the place, okay, uh, uh, to make it understandable, this is the place from which the utilities were paid. This is the place where the AC came on. They, they didn't have that stuff, but that's the idea. This is the place where the, where the, where the priests were paid. You know, they brought grain and, and, and sacrifices, and the Levites actually took a portion of that food and uh, of that grain, and that's what they lived on. So, if the people didn't bring it, they didn't have it. But beyond that, they, they couldn't make necessary repairs. They, 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 they didn't have, they couldn't provide the materials that, that caused the temple to function. The thing that they all, the place where they all needed to gather, they commanded to gather, that place was falling into disrepair because they weren't bringing their tithes into that storehouse. And God says, so if you would do that, if you'd make me a priority, my temple the priority, the work of God a priority, what we're trying to do here together a priority, He says, then here's what I'll do, then I would bless you. This hardship you're experiencing, again, is of your own doing. If you want it to change, the answer is partly in your behavior. And it's in obeying me. So bring it to the storehouse. And He gets to some, now, some specific mechanics. So there'll be meat in my house. And that's a, a, you know, an old English phrase for us, but yet there'd be provision or, so that I can pay the priest so we, we can perform the, the, the religious rituals that God has required of us so we can take care of the temple. If you would bring the money here, there'd be, there'd be enough in here for the operation of the temple. And beyond this, the necessity of that, I'll open the windows of heaven and bless you. I'll, I'll take care of you. So God's saying, if you'll bring it, the church can function, the temple can function, the priest can be paid. Secondly, I will personally bless you. And he said, um, you know, there's this great text about opening the windows of heaven, but the idea is I'll bless you. Now, what's really being referenced here is I'll bless your crops. I'll make it rain. I, I will take care of you in that way. This, again, is not some mystical blessing. It's that the thing that you're complaining about is not happening, isn't happening. I can't bless you because you won't take, even in your scarcity, you won't bring me the tithe. But if you would trust me, I would multiply this. I, I will take care of things for you. In other words, let me say it this way. If you include me in the, in the equation and you'll trust me for the moment with less, I promise you I'll give you a lot more. Okay? That's the mentality love's got to have to get to. We can live on less, but with that less, God can do more. As I always say, I'd rather have 90% in God than 100% without Him. And that's what they were struggling with. And then He said, I'll do you something more. Not only will I give you a positive blessing, but I'll keep away the negatives. I'll rebuke the devourer. The devourer here is specifically probably like things like locusts and grasshoppers. Um, the things that would literally destroy a crop. I and mean, this is the context that they're living in. I'll, I'll rebuke those things. 
I'll keep the, I'll keep the weather so the buds fall off before they're supposed to. Like, you know, the freeze we just had. Um, you know, I'll take care of, like, I won't let the negative things happen. You follow me? So I will bless you with positive things and I will keep negative things from happening in your life and in your crops in the area where you really want to see things move forward. I'll make sure your fruit is not destroyed and things like that, which he specifically referenced in the text. And he says, even beyond that, and this is something that was really big for Israel, they struggled with, is they looked at the nations around them and they were jealous. Remember, they were wanting the Messiah to come, the millennial kingdom to be ushered in. And they looked around these nations and, and, and how they were, they seemed to have more, and they actually accused God in the beginning chapters. Well, you, you don't care about good and evil because these nations around us are, have more money than we do. And so God's really dealing with something that's in their heart here. And he says, and if you, if you simply honor me, I will honor you and your nation, and all the nations will look at you and call you blessed. They'll look at you and think, you're doing well, and man, those crops are doing great. And as a nation, uh, you know, you must be honoring the Lord because He's honoring you. So that's kind of the idea of the text. But the truths and applications, you know, are already obvious, I think, to us. It is important for me to say and for you to remember that these specific words are specific promises that were made to the Jews that were post-exile in a specific time in their history, in a situation to resolve an immediate problem they had in terms of drought and economic scarcity. But the truth here does have universal application for us because it is also echoed in other places in the New Testament and the Old Testament. So the first thought I want to make in terms of application is this. It is the nature of all of us, even the best of us, to be selfish. Is that true? Okay. We, we are, can be selfish. And that manifests itself in a thousand different ways. Money is one of them. But we all tend, as humans, as part of our nature, to be selfish. We combine that now with something else that's you know, ubiquitous in human nature. And that is sometimes, even as Christians, it's the inability to fully trust God. Okay. We're, we're selfish. And then, like, we acknowledge God, we know that He's there, and He says to do these things, and yet we go, ugh. There's just areas of life where we, we, just, we struggle to fully trust Him and take Him at His word. Okay, so what they're struggling to take God at His word here is that He will bless them if they give away even in their scarcity. They're, they're, they're struggling to do what God has asked. And that is to tithe. And more than that, the word offerings is meant, is used to be generous. Well, now that result, those two things, all those things combined, results in a dynamic. And the dynamic of the principle is this. It keeps us from giving. But let me say it this way. The principle is this, is that in our selfishness, by keeping, we lose. By keeping, we're actually diminishing ourselves. Now, see, why are we keeping? To enrich ourselves. I mean, obviously, I'm richer with 10 or 15% that I'd give away than without it, right? You follow me? God's saying, that's not how my math works. And that's not how the principles of the universe work. Um, you know, I mean... Just, my brain races with the way this works in so many different places. We always reap what we sow. 
If a man would, be, if a man would have friends, he must show himself what? Okay, so I gotta, I gotta give something to myself first to get something back. So if I'm never friendly, I'm never gonna have what? Friends. I'm diminishing myself. Well, that's just a principle of the Word of God. So he says, by keeping, you're losing. By, by withholding, you think your bank account's growing, but it's not. Because then the devourer's gonna come. And selfishness is, is, is going to uh, create this dynamic that in keeping you lose. The New Testament makes this principle clear. In order to have, we have to give. If I have an ear of corn, I can say, this is the only ear of corn I have. I mean, I got a garden I got to protect. I can't give any of it away. Or I could say, you know, I'm going to take half of what's here and I'm going to plant it. It will be difficult, but I'll live on the rest. But then springtime comes, I plant this and I have a whole lot of corn. The Bible makes that principle clear. You have to make yourself poor sometimes in order to become rich. That's been true of seed. And God says, if, if, if you give, He makes a promise in the New Testament, and then I'll give back to you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together through the hands of men. It's just this principle, if you give, I'll give back to you. You can't outdo that. In the Old Testament, um, God basically made this kind of metaphor. If you keep that which is supposed to come to me, it's going to be like taking that money that belongs to me, putting it in, in pockets that have holes in it. And what you, you know, you start with $100 here, and you walk down the road, you're living life, and all of a sudden when you need, you look in there, and there's nothing. So this principle is everywhere through the Word of God in keeping, in selfishness, and a lack of trust, we diminish ourselves. We make ourselves poor in doing so because that's the way the dynamic of the universe works in the way that God hath made it. So that truth is something that we need to understand. There's this principle, in the, this, uh, uh, another application of this that I've, so many truths of this, but in the Bible there's this, there's this phrase that says, He that hath will be given more, and he that hath not will be even that which he has will be taken away. And that principle plays here, I can say this way, He that hath generosity, okay, will have more generosity and more. But he's that a miser, even when he has to be taken away. You know, this just this truth is everywhere in the Word of God. Dozens of texts that confirm the same truth. We impoverish ourselves by keeping what we're supposed to give to God or give to others. Now, once you get this, we impoverish ourselves financially, truly. So, why I have more money than you realize? You probably don't have as much as you could. I promise you. You probably don't have as much as you could. You, you depreciate yourself, deprive yourself, not just financially, but spiritually. And I'll come back to this in a moment. But you're a lesser Christian than you're supposed to be. You, you depreciate your own character. Um, what kind of person takes and doesn't give? And then obviously, by not giving, you diminish your own contribution. In other words, those of us who give here can come in here and say, hey, I have a partner on the lights and the AC and, you know, that event we just had, that costs dollars. I had a part in making that happen. I have a part in the memories that all the kids enjoyed. I mean, you got, that's real investment that we have in dollars. And if you don't give, you, 
There's just none of that can be laid to your account. You're just living on somebody else's, uh, as David, R and his dime. And, you know, David said, I, I'm not going to take it, which cost me nothing. Another sermon. My brain went there. We diminish ourselves, which takes me to the second point. When we keep what belongs to God or could be shared, we become what we are doing. In other words, will a man rob God? A ro robbery is a deed, right? But people who rob, what do we call them? Robbers. Okay. That may be a minor distinction. That's, that's kind of an important thing for us to deal with. You're a thief. So we don't, we, we don't like that part. Well, I'm just not giving. It's great. That's what you're doing. But I'm talking about who you are. And who you are is a robber and a thief. I, I, I've preached this thought many, many times. The Bible says, your sins will find you out. And this is spoken to a specific context of people uh, who are supposed to go to war and act like they weren't going to. And God said, if you don't, your, your character is going to be manifest is what he's saying. Here's the deal. What does that mean, your sins will find you out? That means you, you become defined by your sins. That's what it really means. It's not like there's going to be some discovery while the lights come on. That can happen. That's really not what it's talking about. It's talking about you're going to be defined by your sins. A rob, someone who robs becomes a robber. A mean person isn't just mean in the moment. He becomes that in character. He's just mean. And so what God's trying to get across here is when we do something over and over and over, and so like every week we have, we have church here and you don't give, you don't give, you're not just withholding, you are becoming the withholder. You aren't just robbing, you are a robber. You're not just thieving, you are a thief. And that has to sink in. You know, we have these moments of discovery in our life all the time. You know, like we can act bitter, we can act bitter, and someone says, you're a bitter person. We go, what? Well, your sin has found you out. You've become bitter. And you're unkind, you're unkind to your spouse, whatever else, and after a while, it's not just something that you do, it's who you are. And that's hard to fix sometimes. If I just do something once, it's not really ingrained in my character, and I can usually prevent that the second time. If I do it over and over and over and over, it becomes part of who I am. See, the, 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 the way God made us is, is amazing. We make neural connections through habitual practices. Like, I can't play the piano, but I can. Not I, other I can. And the reason she does that with such proficiency is because she's actually formed neurological pathways between her brain and a hand that allows her to do that, that thinking. It's the opposite. This is not just the sins have found you out, but your practice has found you out. Make sense? I could try and my practice would find me out. I can't. But her practice has found her out and she can do it with proficiency. So in time, you're not just withholding, you are a withholder. And you become a person of poor character. I'm not trying to be mean, I, there's just, it's really important that we get this. So we're, we're a robber. Well, who do we rob? Well, obviously in the text, we rob God. We rob God. But here's what I want you to think about this. God doesn't need your money. Now, the church does, but God doesn't. So how do I rob him? 
by failing to honor him. In other words, you're robbing him of his due. You're robbing him of his glory that you could give. You're stealing away from his majesty. In other words, I'm not going to do it for a second time. If you go back to chapter 1, the Lord says, if you were to see the governor, you would give him a better gift than you're giving me. In other words, you would not rob him of that moment. You would not rob him of that glory. You would not rob him of you know, that acknowledgement, but you rob me. You come into my house and you give me this blind sheep and this lame lamb and the second best produce that you're going to discard anyway. You're robbing God. You know, it's, it's like, you all get the point, right? I feel like I need to belabor this, but it's like we're just not really, if we come in here we sing pathetically as a church versus sing with our heart, that robs God. It's, it's, it's a way of robbing Him. You come in here and act indifferent, you're robbing the Lord. He doesn't need what you have, but it's a way of acknowledging Him. It's, it's a big deal. We rob Him by holding what we, we could be offering Him. We rob Him of His esteem and His praise. We rob Him of the trust that He wants from us. Second, we rob that. We, we actually rob, and He was saying this, uh, the, the storehouse. We rob the church of God. The storehouse didn't have the, the, the necessary provision to take care of the priests, which is probably part of the reason they were acting corruptly. To meet the necessary repairs, so the temple constantly was in disrepair. They were robbing the place that they all were supposed to come meet. You see, from these offerings, the temple operated. So by keeping their dollars, they were robbing or diminishing what could happen in this place. They were robbing the place of worship that they all attended. So, um, there's things we want to do here. You know, there's, um, this carpet's, I don't know, 15, 16 year old. Don't look carefully, but it's got phrases and stuff. It needs to be replaced. It's fine, but it, it's time. There's things that need to be done. We have a lot of things that need to be done, is the point. Lots and lots of things that can be done. But sometimes we, we struggle doing them. And part of it's because there are people who attend who are thieves. You know, if every member of a church ever tithed, we could do everything we ever needed to do. And we could probably do a lot of what we wanted to do. It just, it just doesn't ever happen. As he says in the text, from the days of your fathers, it just doesn't happen that way. But if it ever did, it'd be miraculous. And so we, we still, we still from the work of God. We still from the ministry that could be done. I mean, there's things that we talk about we'd like to do. We can't do them yet. And, and not all of them, you know, you would place a priority on. But the, but the point is, there's a larger potential here than we're ever going to realize because people play the part of thief. Is that fair? Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you, Brian. I don't have lots of mantras and hobby horses, but this is one. It's just wrong for anyone not to give in something they participate in. And it's wrong for someone, someone not to participate in what they expect other people to provide. And if you come in here and you're taking and you, 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 you come in this place 
and you come in here and you make friends, and I want you to, and you come in here and you drop your kids off at Juana's, and I want you to, and you, and you come in here and you, know, you enjoy the foyer, and you're sitting on a pad. If you enjoy any of that and you're not given to it, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. And I don't even, it's wrong at every possible level. You can't join a club with that attitude. That's called dues, right? You go join the little league football team your kids are part of, not free, because your kid's participating in it. Your kid goes to band, they buy the instrument, right? We don't cry, that's all that, all that school wants is my money. We, we, we get it, well, they're, they're doing something. Well, we're kind of doing something here too. Whatever, so. It, it's the way it works. So there are things that sometimes are left undone that could be done, or it takes twice as long to do it because not everybody will get on board. You rob yourself. Rob God, rob this place, and you rob yourself. And I really always talked about that. Your sins will find you out. Stealing is not just something that you do, it's something you become. It takes away from who you are and who you could be. Um, it takes away from what you could experience. You know, I, I, I thought about this. What devourers are present in any of our lives because we fail to honor God completely? Because God says some of these devourers here, maybe grasshoppers or whatever else, He would rebuke. He'll, he'll stay the frost or whatever. And there's some things that we may be, and I don't understand how this works, there may be some things in our life we're experiencing that we wouldn't have to if we just gave a better effort to honor God. I'm not making that mystic or too axiomatic. I'm just making a point. It's kind of here. God says, if you just honor me, bring your tenth in here, there's just things that I will keep from you that you might otherwise experience. It's kind of like praying. If you have not because you ask not. And sometimes you experience things because you're not doing the things you should do. And God kind of makes that clear. You know, we have to be careful in robbing ourselves. Um, I can't remember who used the illustration the other day, but we can become kind of like the Grinch with every passing year that we don't do what we ought to do. Our heart may just grow smaller and smaller and the ability to ever do what we want to do grows more difficult and more difficult. And finally, you're robbing yourself of the blessing that God wants to give. And I, I don't think any of us really want that. And so the text really teaches that we do ourselves a great favor and we really honor God by simply obeying His Word. One example, but it be truth for all the Word of God is presented. All right? Let me ask you to stand tonight.